0: Good morning, this is, uh, oh, sorry. My warning camera's on. Uh, This is gonna be another morning edition of Driving Theology. This is Mike. Welcome to my car. Uh, Actually, this isn't my car. Uh, In fact, uh, if you listen very often, it should be a little bit quieter of a recording today long as the Navi doesn't talk too much. I'm just going to work, so don't have the Navi on, so everything should be all right. But it's got, got other beeps and whistles. This, this car I'm driving today is a, is our family car, the, the wife, the, the, the car that my wife usually drives. Uh, my car, I think I mentioned this last time, uh, broke down and, uh, I think it's time to replace it. So my wife's driving, uh, Another car for a couple weeks until my car, my my new old car is ready. Um, it's kind of an exciting time for me. I haven't been in, an, I haven't had a, a another car in. Uh, in other words, I've driven the same car for the last 13 plus years. Um, this is kind of exciting for me. Uh, we we kind of run our cars into the into the ground. That's been our our uh, pattern so far. We, when we got to Japan, we borrowed uh, my wife's father's car for a while because he wasn't driving. And eventually, we got our own car. We got a Honda Civic uh, four-door Ferio, which is a nice car. Nice enough. And then as our family grew, we added a uh, minivan, a Nissan minivan to that. And that uh, was a good car. It was a What's called a Serena, and I don't think it's sold in the states. It's probably we would be considered a mini minivan. Anyway, it only holds about eight people, or held about eight people. So we drove that for about that new in two thousand and drove that until I guess two thousand thirteen, maybe. Uh, and the transmission went out. And if you know anything about those cars, they have this. Uh, uh, I gotta remember what it's called, CVT I believe is what the transmission is called, anyway it's not a, it's not your conventional transmission, it, it, it has a continuous, I think it's continuous velocity transmission or something like this, CVT, anyway it kind of makes you feel like the transmission is rubber, there are no jerks or, or bumps. Uh, when you shift gears and anyway, it was a good car, but that transmission went out and they're rather expensive to replace and we had a lot of miles so And it was all paid off. So we went ahead and uh, Traded that in for a used uh, But much newer model of the same car But had a lot more beeps, you know bells and whistles and, and uh, But we got a, a used car I think it was four years old when we got this one but it's the same car, same color, but a newer model. So this is a 2009, which we got in 2013, so we got it when it was four years old. Uh, but it's it's a much smoother car than the other one, and this thing rides really great. Um, actually, the miles are starting to climb a little bit on this, but generally, these cars go a long time if, if they're maintained, and we really try to, try to maintain them. Japanese government helps because you have a mandatory uh, inspection every two years. That really they go over it with a fine tooth fine to- fine comb, fine comb, and and uh, kind of make you replace this and that and the other and and uh, you know new tires, new brakes, um, belts, whatever is showing anywhere at all uh, that won't last for the next two years, then they pretty much replace and, you know, change the oil, and anyway, uh, they always come back driving really nice after that, so every two years we get it, you know, pretty much gone through, and, uh, you know, it cost, it's, it's pricey, but that's the law here, and that they keep their cars running pretty well, and there aren't really very many breakdowns, so, uh, my car breaking down was kind of rare, and I was driving a Um, micro SUV, I guess you call it, or a mini SUV, what used to be known as the uh, Suzuki Samurai in the States, it's known here as the Suzuki Jimny, and it's a little uh, four-wheel drive Jeep kind of thing, but it's only a four-seater, so pretty tiny. Anyway, uh, that was also a year 2000, we bought that when it was four years old a lot of miles on that that was my personal car and basically became it you know is is my office and things like that anyway it broke down and uh, it's pretty much kaput and we're gonna we're gonna put that thing to rest and then I'm gonna buy a another used car so waiting to get into that anyway that that's a, a short story long um, how are you guys doing uh Not much is really going on on my end. I'm not sure what I'd like to talk about today. Um, Last time I I spoke a little bit, and I'm sorry I posted it so late, I just got it posted today. This is, uh, gosh, what day is this? Maybe April 16th, something like that, 17th. Anyway, I just got that posted. uh, And that was on basically what it's like to be a a, uh, free range. Christian, a Christian who is not uh, tied to any specific denomination, uh, group, uh, or meeting, um, but just kind of uh, is always in church. And the way you look at it is, church is always in session, so you can't go to church because church is wherever you're at. And you know, how do we live into that? How do we? How do we treat it as such? How do we? partner with Jesus every step we take uh, and be church wherever we are with whomever we meet uh, strangely enough one of the ways I do that is through this podcast it, it helps me uh, think on spiritual things and and really it's a, it's a place where I regurgitate the things that I've been learning or thinking or wondering um, or hearing uh, and I uh, So yeah, this is kind of a new thing, right? Well, I'm sure it's always been around. I think some of the first free-range Christians were probably what are today known as monks. Uh, People who, well, I mean, except for the original disciples uh, and probably a generation or two after them. I think you can see Philip as an example of a free-range Christian, somebody who just uh, goes about life and follows the leading of the Holy Spirit and. Um, trust the Spirit completely when told where to go and what to do and who to see. Uh, Philip and his life in Acts is amazing, as is Peter's um, and Paul and, and other people. But Philip seems to be, we don't have much else about Philip. We have a lot about Peter and Paul, but not as much about Philip. But that his, uh, the way he lives his life in Acts, I think is a, a great uh, example of what a free range Christian Uh, Life, uh, a life lived in church without walls and without times, um, and really without rules, and and uh, yeah, a life of freedom in Christ and what that really looks like. And uh, it's a shame we don't really explore what freedom in Christ means these days, except to say that it doesn't mean what we hope it means, (laughs) which is which is really sad. Uh, it seems like any time we we talk about freedom in Christ, oh, but it's not really free. It's freedom in Christ, so it's a it's a Christ version of freedom. So it's not really freedom, you see. It's it's freedom to follow Christ, and and uh, you know the freedom you want is not really the freedom you'll get. and Too bad, but you know Christ's brand of freedom is is it is what it is, you know, and you just have to accept it. But You know, why would Christ use the word freedom then? You know, I think he would have used the word, uh, a different word. You know, why did Paul use freedom in Christ instead of a different word? Uh, I believe Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. You know, we tend to say, well, he's not talking about real freedom. He's, He's talking about, you know, Freedom from this or freedom from that or freedom from the consequences of sin. And, you know, all those things are true, but, but I think it's, it's a shame that we can't discover an even, uh, an an even greater freedom. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm currently uh, listening to a book on audio, uh, which apparently is pretty controversial. I just saw it mentioned on Facebook, and I'd never heard of it, and uh, wanted to see what it was. Um, it's got some interesting stuff, but basically the idea of the book is that uh, life as we know uh, life as we know it has ended in, in the continental United States, and a theocracy has taken over, uh, bolstered by the military where women become property uh, and men become supreme and all kinds of uh, religion or religious based laws are put into place to subjugate women uh, and to uh, make the country more uh, of a country ruled by biblical or, or quasi-biblical law as interpreted by these people. And it's about this uh, this girl who is, uh, I believe she's considered a handmaiden, and what life looks like to her from her eyes, a woman who was born in the free world, uh, but now has to navigate life as a handmaiden, property of a man that is called the commander, uh, in a world where women are not really allowed to even talk freely. Uh, not even amongst themselves. Uh, and where they are constantly surveilled uh, and bugged, listened to, uh, under penalty of uh, you know things like um, amputation and even death, torture, things like this. So they have to adhere to a very, very strict set of laws. And it's all narrated by the, the uh, protagonist, uh, the, hero, the heroine, uh, whose name is Of Fred, I believe. Of Fred, she, her name is taken away from her, uh, but the man, I believe, who, who uh, either her father, Anyway, she's only given the name of her father, of Fred being her, her father, or the man that owns her, I'm not sure, her, her I guess her name may change. But Anyway, she's not even a wife, she's a handmaiden, but owned by a man. There, there are wives and there are handmaidens and there are other uh, types of women called Martha's. Uh, women have roles in the society, but they're not allowed to choose their role, really. Uh, and they must adhere very strictly to all of the, all of the rules and, and the uh, whims of men, really. But many men are also in a very strict position. Uh, depending on your, your uh, rung on the ladder, uh, you may also be in a very weak uh, and uh, subjugated position. But generally, it's the women have been subjected to um, ownership and uh, subjugation. So, Anyway, it's kind of an interesting uh, apocalyptic uh, tale all about what might happen if America did become a theocracy. What would that look like? What could that look like? Um, And I, I can't help but thinking as I listen to this. And I may be wrong about this, so, so forgive me, I, I don't want to offend anybody, um, but I can't help but thinking that it reminds me of the way that women are treated in certain Islamic countries. Um, that's what it reminds me of. Uh, so if I'm faced with living in a country that is a theocracy where, uh, basically biblical martial law is put in place versus a a free world, but a largely immoral world, uh, where people, uh, are free to both embrace Christ, but deny him as well. Um, yeah, I think I like the world we have versus that. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure Christianity would thrive in that kind of situation actually. Um, I'm positive of it actually. It has, it has thrived in those kinds of, uh, maybe not the same, but similar, at least in part, circumstances where, where the gospel has thrived in very uh, anti-Christian circumstances. But it's interesting that you can be pro-Bible and be anti-Jesus, that, that still just blows me away. That often, pro-Bible equals anti-Jesus. And I think this stems from a few things. Uh, I'll talk about this anyway. Uh, I think it stems, stems in part from a misunderstanding of the term, the word of God or the phrase, the word of God. Um, John says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Right. And we interpret this as meaning Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word. Uh, and I don't know any Christians who deny that don't say Jesus is the Word, but often, and I would say more prevalent, is the idea that the Bible is the Word of God, and even called the living Word of God. Um, so, I, I don't know, I need to explore this more, but right now, I have a problem believing that the Bible in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation is the perfect infallible Word of God. Now, I believe that Jesus is the perfect infallible Word of God. I do believe that uh, with all my heart. But, you know, to believe that written word in their in their various translations and errors that have, you know, we've uncovered and, and continue to discover, and maybe even backtrack on some translating choices. Uh, it's just hard to imagine that the Bible is perfect and infallible in that kind of an atmosphere. Seriously, in every language, in every translation, in every era, it's been perfect. Um, now it could be. It could be that the Word of God is revealed, at least in part, in the Bible. In fact, I I believe that. I believe that the written words of God exist in the Bible. I just don't believe that all the words in the Bible are the words of God. I believe it's, it's sort of like a treasure hidden in a field as Jesus talks about in the parable. I think truth is out there, but it needs to be uncovered. This needs to be separated from that. This needs to be uncovered uh, uh, from that. And and so that process um, is all important, I think, to discovering uh the true word of god in scripture so let me say it again scripture is the field but evidence of jesus and let's say pictures of who god is really are hidden in that field and they must be uncovered kind of like separating the wheat from the chaff right Uh, It's not going to be obvious all the time. It's going to take some work and some time and some elbow grease. Um, It can be done. It should be done. It must be done. Um, Now, ironically enough, my view of the Bible hasn't gone down. It's gone way up. Because now I know that the Bible is sort of like an encoded message, that it must be looked at much more closely than I ever thought, uh, with with much more intent. But The great thing is to find those morsels of hidden truth in the Bible, we can use Jesus as our key. Jesus is the key That unlocks those hidden treasures. And to me, that makes the Bible a much more valuable book. And it also gives us a reason for the discrepancies and contradictions that are found in Scripture. Now it's Bible-thumping Christians are quick to say, ah, there are no contradictions, you just don't understand the context, or there are no contradictions, God is just past our understanding. Fair enough. God is probably past my understanding. I just don't think the Bible is. I don't think the Bible is supposed to be past our understanding. I do think it's a a book that is meant for us to... uh, Dive into deeply, right? It's not—it's not a book that that we're supposed to just, you know, read at face value. And really, I don't know anything that's like that. Um, that God has created. Um, that's why Jesus spoke in parables and in metaphor uh, and asked questions. He wants us to think. He wants us to discover for ourselves the truth. Okay. And I think this has been lost in large part in our modern churches and in our modern world. All right. So, wow, how did I go from freedom to uh, the Bible well the theocracy part right so uh, I talked about this this book that that talks about a theocracy that has come about in an uh, apocryphal world after an apocalypse not apocryphal after an apocalypse and uh, freedoms were completely taken away from women and really most freedoms were taken away from men as well. Freedom pretty much uh, doesn't exist anymore for anybody as far as I can tell. But the book is still, you know, progressing, so we'll see. I'm still in the middle of it. Um, But why can't the freedom that Christ gives us be true freedom? And here's my argument. When we Embrace freedom. To to truly embrace freedom, you have to let go of many things. One of the things you have to let go is let go of is your guilt. Okay? You can't be truly free and still believe that you have a debt to pay from past sins you've committed. You can't be truly free and be in debt. How does Jesus solve that problem? Well, He He has cleaned the slate. His sacrifice, sacrificing Himself by taking on sin and death, defeating it in the depths of the universe. He has erased sin. He has taken our sins far from us. Once and for all, done. Okay? So Sin no longer need enslave you. If you are enslaved to sin today, uh, I believe it is in part because you give sin that power because Christ has already taken that system of sin and death away, far from us. So if we are still having problems with sin, it's a residual habit that we are having a hard time. Now, I think we're all going to fall into that category, actually. I think we all continue to, by definition, sin. The difference is our sins are no longer counted against us. Therefore, guilt is not needed. Okay, now, that's a slippery slope, right? This is what people are going to say who thump the Bible. They're going to say, well, that's a slippery slope because now you're saying people can just do go do whatever they want, right, without any fear of consequence. Well, okay, what if I'm saying that? Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the crux, though. As you live into that, and you realize that even though Jesus would not do the things that you are tempted to do, or sometimes do, that he forgives you for doing those things anyway, and does not count your sins against you, you understand how much Jesus loves you. He loves me so much that there's nothing I could do to change that, ever. There's nothing I could do to change the fact that God loves me, that Jesus loves me. Alright. Wow. Now, that love has, or that, that feeling of love, hopefully, has has planted a seed in your heart that will continue to grow. And you will continue to grow into the knowledge of just how much Jesus loves you. I mean, think about that. I could literally literally go do anything. Anything. And it would not change Jesus' love for me. Now, as you live into that love, the knowledge of the immensity and the self-sacrificing love that Jesus has for us will transform you more into a person that deserves that love over time. I, I hope that everybody would, when they believe on Jesus, would get suddenly struck by lightning and and have all of a sudden a complete change of heart, right? This is why David said, you know, change my heart, oh God. He, he understood that even what he knew wasn't enough, he had to change what he felt, right? Change my heart, oh God, says David. Um, But that's not really what happens. What happens is God says, yes, I will change your heart, but I'm not going to give you a new one. I'm going to redeem your old one. I'm going to reconcile that heart to my heart over time. And you're just going to have to trust me in the process. And there's going to be times when you will doubt that it's happening. You will doubt that your heart is being changed. Other people will doubt that your heart has been changed. But continue to lean into that. God has taken my heart in his hands and is redeeming it back to himself. He's He's reconciling his heart and my heart together. And that process is happening. And I can live into that. I can lean on that. I can trust in that. And over time, what that will do is Fix people to where they no longer follow their sinful heart and try to always follow the desires uh, of their own heart, but they will learn to understand God's heart through that process. His love will transform our heart into a heart that is more in tune with His heart over time. We just need to lean into that process. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. But in that transformation, true freedom can be achieved. God is not making us clones. We are still ourselves, but we are becoming a better version of ourselves, God willing as we lean into that process, as we trust it, okay? Um, So, as long as your heart has been redeemed by God, then you will instinctively do the things and think the things and want the things that God wants, but you'll still be yourself. Okay? And now you no longer have to worry about this enticing you or that enticing you. As as long as you are transformed, you now have essentially a heart that beats with the heart of God. And instinctively you will be able to follow and to do the things that God would have you to do instinctively, naturally. And now you've found complete freedom. you found a freedom where you can, you can be yourself, you can, you can love, you can live, you can enjoy uh, without being pulled back down into that old self, that Adam, right? Because now Christ is living in you. You are a new creation indeed. Now you become a new creation in name as you believe on Christ, but I think you become a new creation in reality, in the process that will take your entire life and will never be. It will never be completed until Christ does it once for all when he comes again. Uh, At least that's what I believe today. Um, And so I say be free, experience freedom, step outside the box. Okay? Be free enough. That you allow the love of Jesus to infiltrate your heart and begin that process of transformation. You know, Paul says, I do, you know, the things that I don't want to do. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? He says, Well, that's because sin lives in me. It's not I, but sin that does it in me. Okay, that. In other words, he has not yet been fully transformed. He knows what he should do, and he doesn't want to do the things that are bad. But sin in him sometimes overrides his better judgment. And he does bad things. That system of sin, unfortunately, still has a hold on us as it had a hold on Paul then. But the process that Jesus is Creating in you is that transformation. That's what Jesus is doing to us. Transformation is important to Him. In fact, some might say that's the ball game. That's what's going on here. That's 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 why Jesus died on the cross. That's uh, that's what God is doing in the universe right now. He is in the process of transforming it back into the best version of itself and that includes the the created uh, universe in, in its entirety. It, it includes our thoughts and our hearts and our actions. And, uh, it includes animal life and plant life and rocks and, and uh, it really includes everything. God is transforming it all back into its originally intended condition before sin came in and corrupted everything. Sin is like sin is like yeast to dough uh, or uh, you could say sin is like um, I don't know like uh, like bacteria to food, right? Uh, eventually it's going to hit a point where it will rot the whole thing. But Jesus is like the cure to a virus, right? Uh, or a bacteria that, that has taken hold of your body, right? He has come to eventually restore you back to perfect health, better than you've ever been before, right? Uh, now, the Bible tends to not call that transformation, although it does, Paul does talk about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But it, it tends to call it Reconcile, or Reconciliation, or Forgiveness, or Redemption. All of these words are, are words for what God intends to do with you and me and the entire universe, right? Uh, to get us back on track. Um, and wow, thank God that He's doing that, right? um without that where would we be It's exactly what we need. And you look around the earth, and you look around the world. You're like man, we just we just need to start over. This is horrible. You know. But God says, "Yeah, we'll start over in a sense, but what I originally made was fine. All we need to do is get rid of the corruption, the corrupting influence of sin, the corrupting influence of self and selfishness. Right? Take that out. And that's what he's doing. He's he's done it and he's doing it at the same time. And it, you'll be just fine. So you don't have to stop being yourself. You just need to be the best version of yourself. All over again for the first time. <laughs> uh, wow, that's going to be great. I can't believe. I mean, you know, I, man, I, have been sleeping with with uh, a lot of pain the last couple weeks. I've got tennis elbow in my left elbow, and now I think I'm getting some kind of an inflammation in my right shoulder. And man, when I sleep, I'm either on on my uh, left elbow. It starts aching and I gotta turn over, and then I'm on my right shoulder and I gotta turn over, and it's really not been great. I, I can't wait. You know, for a time when all pain will be taken away. Um, it's gonna be wonderful. Well, I'm reaching my destination. Um, maybe next time I record this, it'll be in my new old car. We'll see some of you guys appreciate the quietness of this car compared to my old bone rattler Um, but anyway yeah we'll uh we'll talk to you guys later have a uh, great day and, and man just just lean into that transforming love that is in the process of of transforming your heart just go ahead and lean into that today much as you feel you can and maybe a little bit more tomorrow because you are blessed we are blessed Um, all of us bye bye